score. Cleared. Keats with a shot. Cherry up! Name on the trophy. It's gone over to the final whistle and City here looking for an opening. It's Dick off again! Can you believe it? Becker. It's a Cherry up. And Goldsbarrett won it! Manchester United have reached the promised land. Kevin the Bruyne! Hello and welcome back to the Mancunian Way podcast. I'm your co-host Ollie, joined by Serge. Evening all. We've got mixed emotions tonight, but we are going to get the instant reactions from City versus West Ham United and Manchester United against Brighton Hove Albion in the second half of the podcast. We're going to be joined by Michael Moses Jarman. Michael is agent to the stars, including England's Heroin and winning goal scorer Chloe Kelly and Arnout Danjuma as well, who you know in the, earlier in the summer was linked with United. So we're going to get right into it. And first, we're going to get Serge nice and depressed and we're going to talk about the United game. He's been to Old Trafford today. Serge, what did you make of it? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously it's a difficult one. I think really that we've got to kind of reset our expectations. The problem is, is that obviously... Being a Manchester United fan and supporter, you're kind of used to a level and that level for so many years was always obviously a very high level and you go into every season, you know, cha- expecting to challenge for the titles, expecting to challenge for Champions League and, and mm. whatever else. And we've just got to kind of accept that we're, we're, we're nowhere near there. Um, we, I think, yeah, as I said, we've got to reset our expectation. I think you go into seasons, you know, hopeful, we, 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 you know, but 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 in reality, we, we're miles off. We're at least three, at least three, four players uh, off where we need to be. Obviously, Ten Hag's not really been backed um, to, to to a level that, that that he needs to. I think partly because obviously he, he wants certain players, but also partly because I do think there there there, there isn't a, a glut of talent in the market um, that. Uh, I think will um, take us to that level. I think there is talent in the market, but I don't think it, it, it's that level of talent that we really want. Um, I think we'll end up with, you know, if, if we were to dip into the market and get um, just any old player, as, as Ten Hag, you don't want any old player who wants, you know, the right type of player. And, and it's just hard to find those players that, that, that are really kind of that high quality uh, level that you want. Um, you you, you make I, a good I, point. I, so I'm just going to stop you there because I think you make a great point and this was evident as well in the striker market this summer. There were really only two strikers that were seen as that top, top level that were on the market. Obviously, one of them was Erling Haaland and the other one was Kylian Mbappe, who at the end of the day wasn't actually on the market. And it does kind of feel like United are in a similar situation looking at other players. You feel like in years gone by, there have been a lot of perceived anyway top quality players in the market. You know, you look at Alexis Sanchez, Paul Pogba. These are players who were, by all accounts, smashing it wherever they were. United seems to be in a situation where you're going to have to not only sign players that aren't perhaps perceived top quality, done it in the Champions League, etc. You're going to have to find players that really still have a point to prove and that are fairly young, willing to be coached. And in a way, it's going to be a good thing because I think it's going to be an opportunity for Ten Hag to show his coaching prowess, right? No, absolutely. I, I, I think it's quite evident the way that Ten Hag wants to play, wants to play out from the back. 
whether he has the right place to do it is is, is another thing. It, it feels very similar to when Arteta kind of t- took over Arsenal when they were trying to like play it out the back and they didn't really have the players to be able to do it or they hadn't they hadn't got used to the system that he wants to play. And you know that's going to happen this season a lot. There's going to be it's going to be a lot of wins and there'll be a lot of losses. I'm sure. Um, as, as, as we discussed in the first part, it, it's a transitional season. Uh, and we've got to treat it as that. So okay, so I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick up on there. One criticism I actually had today, and I, I did message you this almost in a teasing way, but it is, a, I think, trying to be fairly objective here. I do think it's a fair point. Has Ten Hag been naive today? Because what he's done is he's gone out to play the football that is what he would see as his ideal football. He's gone out today to play Ten Hag ball with a squad that, as you've just said isn't ready or good enough to play Ten Hag ball. Should he have been a bit more pragmatic? I, I am kind of squeezing here and I'm, I'm pressing perhaps a little harshly because it is the first game of the season. But could he have been a bit more pragmatic and perhaps set in a way, set up in a way that would have helped you to get the result, even if the football wasn't ideal? I just, I think much like, I suppose much like Pep, you know, he wants to play a certain way. And nothing will compromise on that, uh, and 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 that seems to way be the way it wants to be. The problem is, as, as I said before, we don't have the players to, to do it at this moment, moment in time, and that's going to take time. We've still got time till the end of the transfer window, so you know we, we really need to dip into the market to to, to get those players that, that he wants. Um, you know, obviously the De Jong saga is kind of you know rattled on for you know most of the summer, but United were expecting that. Uh, as, as they actually said, you know, kind of <laughs> get your seatbelts on, it's going to be a turbulent ride uh, with De Jong. Um, but I mean, th- there's a number of players in the market that would infinitely make us better. Um, but I, I, again, today, you, you did see, as soon as he did make some changes, for example, when he took Scott McTominay off um, and brought, I think it was Van Der Beek, maybe, he brought on and, and then Ericsson uh, played deeper. Uh, it worked much better. I think the problem is is that you've got players that um, aren't technical footballers. I don't think Fred's a technical player. I think he struggles to in, in ball possession and ball retention. Um, McTominay as well, kind of fallen off a cliff over the last couple of seasons. Don't know what's happened to him. Um, but this kind of McFred partnership isn't working, and that's that that is the basis of 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 the heart of the team. And, and if that doesn't work, then you're in real trouble. Um, I mean, you saw today. You know, we're just overrunning the field. Um, and we did improve when Ericsson played further deep, but he, he he's able to kind of hold the ball uh, as a player. But you know, as, as as a player that can do that because uh, he's a technical player. But you know, it's it, it's very hard uh, to see us improving with the players that we have that have now played under a number of managers: Jose Mourinho, um, Oli Solskjaer, you know, and 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 Ten Hag and. They're still no better off. They're still, they're still, they're still, they're still not improved as players. No, I agree. I agree, and it is going to take time. And ultimately, as well, even if these players aren't completely up to scratch, you should really be seeing some improvements. I just want to pick out a few players' performances in particular and ask you about them. Um, and we'll go with the negative and the positive. Your front three were quiet. Uh, I don't particularly blame them. I think as well, Sancho in particular in the first half was really quiet. There seemed to be a lack of quality in transition from back to front. They didn't really get the chance to have an impact on the game. So uh, despite my disdain for Sancho, I'm not going to uh, pick up on it too much. Dallow, I I wanted to point out his performance. He he was dire, wasn't he? 
I mean, I actually thought Dalo was all right. Really? Um, yeah, I actually, I actually think he was um, he was okay today. Um, I think he def- defensively he's questionable, um, mm. but I, I think he was okay in the grand scheme of things. I think we really kind of lost it in midfield. We were getting overrun every time that, that they'd kind of come forward. Um, I think positionally, Dalo was it, it, you know it is an issue, and I'm hoping that Ten Hag can kind of coach that. Uh, out of him or coach that into him if you want. Um, yeah. I, I felt I felt a lot West, of the I felt a lot of the goal threat from West Ham did come down his side, in particular yeah, the first half. It, it did, and it, I think I, I heard it over the air that it was. I think Pascal Gross has scored against us six times, and you know, since, you know, over the last three years, I think it was. Um, but I mean, <laughs> I think ultimately, the, the, as you said, the front three were quiet. I don't know if Sanchez was just a lag over the fact that he was, you know, he was, you know, poorly during the week and. He kind of declared himself fit, but maybe, you know, some of that, I don't know, but he, d- he didn't have an imprint on the game at all. Uh, Marcus Rashford, again, wasn't 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 good at all. Um, and yeah, I said Ericsson and Martinez were the only two standouts for me who I thought were, 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 were very good. Yeah, er- Ericsson um, missed a decent chance, didn't he, in the, in the first half. I think he was put through at one point onto his left foot. Rashford, I... I'm sad about Rashford today for selfish reasons. I actually had him in my fantasy Premier League team this week. Uh, I, I guess I bought into the preseason hype. You know, he came back, he looked in great shape. He was scoring goals today. Yeah, again, he wasn't great, but I, I don't think the problem was necessarily up front. That your front three didn't really have the freedom they needed. No, and 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 again, it, it all comes down to balance of a team. When they put the team sheet out, I was kind of surprised to see Ericsson and Bruno playing together, um, and whether it would work and, and and how they would kind of set up, um, because obviously you would expect kind of a traditional um, three uh, with a false nine, and, and obviously it was it was Ericsson playing false nine as Ten Hag mentioned. Um, didn't, in my opinion, it didn't really work. I don't think Eric. I don't think um, Ericsson is is is. Um, I don't think he affects the game, you know, that much from that position. I think he's better in a deeper role. Mm. Well, it um, is it is actually something I mentioned when we were talking with um, Johnny Schrager on episode one. I we were talking about how United might line up and how there's a bit of an imbalance. You've got loads of number tens, and that's outside of Ronaldo and the unreliable Martial. You don't really have a proper number nine. And I think I actually put the question to Johnny. I said, "Do you think you might line up with a false nine? And I followed it on by saying. The, the issue with false nine is it's an incredibly hard position to play. Foden was okay there. De Bruyne was fairly good there. But the only real devastating false nine we've ever seen in world football was Lionel Messi himself. So as good as Ericsson is, I think he's got bags of quality. But again, I, I, I don't want to shift the blame too much because ultimately your whole team is responsible for the result in one way or another. But again, I, don't, I just don't think your front three were set to have the impact on the game that you perhaps would have wanted them to. No, I think that's I think that's a fair comment. I think you know at the, at the end of the day, you can only rely on, on the front three so much. You know, there's a lot of work that needs to be done behind them to to to, to make them effective. And and yeah, it just wasn't nothing. Nothing seemed to work today. Uh, we, it just seemed very. What's the word? Just, just very slow, mm. cumbersome. It just it, it, it they were trying to play it out from the back and it just felt like the players were 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 were, were scared and they were putting they, they were getting put under pressure and they were making mistakes and 
it just feels like it's very early on, like a child's, you know, learning to kind of crawl and then to walk. And... Yeah, it kind of reminded me of City's first game last season, to be fair, against Tottenham Hotspur. We were slow. We were really slow out the blocks. And your performance mm. today very much reminded me of that. Ultimately, fitness isn't up to scratch, perhaps comfort with the manager and with the system and not necessarily got all the players back that you wanted at the beginning of last season when we played Spurs. A lot of the England boys were missing. Foden, Walker, I don't think they played Stones as well because we'd gone deep in the Euros. Also kind of reminded me of that. There is a bit of leeway there. So I'm going to ask you the question. Are you worried about today's performance or do you think you're going to come back in the next week or two a different team? That's a tough question. Um, I mean, ultimately, I'd like to say yes. I hope we do come back. Obviously, Obviously, I hope they come back a different team, but... You know, re- realistically, this this is not uh, overnight, um, uh, overnight change, overnight process, and and the problem is that we live in a world today where, you it, it, you know, you start losing games or you you lose the game here and there, you're the worst thing, and then you know you have a great game, next game the best thing. I mean, look at Haaland, you know, against, yeah, worst striker, worst striker in the world last weekend. Correct, and then and then you know the, the best thing since sliced bread today. So it, football is very fickle. It's a fickle sport. You know, if if United go on to tonk the next team five nil, Ten Hag will be hailed as the next messiah. So I I don't want to get caught into you know too, too much into that. I think we've just got to be kind of level headed, and for most kind of match going Reds, I think they are level headed about it. They know this is going to take time. They've got to back Ten Hag no matter what. Even if we finish 15, 16, 17, we've got to back him. There's no point. Fucking hell, there's got to be a limit, surely. I mean, I don't know. I mean, ultimately, I I, I, I just, I'll just use it as an example. (laughs) But, you know, ultimately, you know, we can't keep changing managers and, mm. and, and expecting something to change because it's not going to change. Mm. There's a cultural issue. Uh, players still need shipping out of that team. There's still players playing in that 11 that's still not good enough. As you mentioned, one of them below before, Delo. Delo's not good enough. Um, but there isn't anybody else at this moment in time. Um, he doesn't like Wan-Bissaka. And it's, for me, it's kind of the best of a bad bunch. Um, so I don't think he has the squad that he wants yet. Um, it's going to take time and it's not going to happen in you know one window. It'll take maybe two, three windows until he's got the actual squad that he that, that he wants. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it is what it is. It is what it is. But, it, it, you know, it genuinely is. You know, we can't, we can't go into the season thinking that we're going to be finishing. I mean, I, I hate to say it, but we, we, I hope we challenge for top four. I hope the performances really pick up and things start happening. But if you offered me sixth now, I'd probably take it. Um, yeah, me and Fisher were discussing this on episode 2.5. So anyone listening now that didn't catch that one, have a listen. It was our season preview. The thing is with United, I think you've got a bit of slack in that ultimately outside the top six, it's unlikely to see a team like Newcastle that are going to replace United. Even though you have these struggles, you do have a nice little cushion because at the end of the day, yes, you need a few more players. You need some time with Ten Hag, etc. But ultimately, the squad is 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 significantly better than still than those outside of the top six. And you've got big players that can you know, create big moments and win points. Maybe so, but it's still the weakest United squad. That's been, I mean, we had how many outgoings go in the summer and we've replaced... We're not, I mean, we've not replaced them. I mean, we, we, we brought in a, a centre-back that we already had a bloated centre-back department, so we're looking at shipping more out. Um, we, we brought in um, a, a midfielder or, or, I mean, number eight, is he? Um to, to, to kind of play a deeper midfield role, but he's not a 
he's not kind of a box to box midfielder. He's not getting stuck in. He's, he's not he's not that type of midfielder. You know, midfielder that'll take it out from defence. Uh, you know, a true number six. We don't have a number six in in, in the squad at the moment. Anyway, and, and enough about uh, United. It's been a pretty depressing day for. Um, for, for us Reds. So, so moving on to City, obviously uh, you guys saw a comfortable victory at the uh, at the London Stadium um, against West Ham. We saw obviously uh, two goals by um, the Norwegian meat shield, uh, Erling Haaland. Um, obviously one was a penalty uh, and one was um, a lovely a lovely run, lovely finish, bottom left. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, what we all thought on the game, Ollie, I think, I think City looked pretty in control throughout West Ham didn't seem to kind of really pose any kind of threat uh, on the game at all um I, I mean I, I saw a few chances but nothing really stood out um I thought it was a you know kind of a, an easy day at the office really for City what, what were your thoughts yeah you're pretty much right to be fair it's not often that we do say this we often do start slow as I just mentioned you know, last season against Spurs we really suffered and struggled even last week against Liverpool at the Community Shield there were a lot of people whose opinions and takeaways from the Liverpool game was don't expect much more from City next weekend against West Ham. So really, really pleased with today. Like really pleased. Haaland actually exceeded my expectations today. And I'll tell you why. He dropped deep quite often. There were long periods where we did have the ball. The kind of those City, very typical City situations where we had very comfortable possession for long periods of time. West Ham were quite happy to sit back. They were happy to chill. Haaland was more than comfortable in dropping deep in those situations and offering himself almost as a false nine again. He, and his link-up play was great. I mean, I'm just looking at some of his statistics now. 91.3% pass accuracy, 21 accurate passes. So I think it's that's what, uh, 21 out of 23? He created a great chance when he put Gundogan through, who was all, unfortunately offside. But his link-up play... I guess is something that people are going to be studying even more than his goal scoring capabilities. And his link up play was great today. His goals, I mean, his penalty was spot perfect, really. I think it was half an inch away from the post to his left, keeper's right, which beautiful. You know, we, we, we've been longing for a penalty taker. The first thing that my dad turned around to me and said when Harlan stepped up to take it was, Well, he's at City now, he's got to miss. So it's really nice to have a reliable penalty taker. And the other thing, it's. I've not had the kind of confidence in a player who's through on goal to A, latch onto the ball in good time and B, slot at home since Sergio Aguero. And I think back to some of the through balls that Raheem Sterling received last season where he was almost clear through on goal, 10 yards behind him, 10 yards ahead of him. And he'd stop, turn three times, look around. And by the time he's actually made his decision on what to do, he's been dispossessed. Haaland was... He's what he's shown everyone in the Bundesliga. Through on goal, I mean, the, the pace is insane. And that offers two things, you know, not not only to get to the ball and beat the defenders, he's got 10 yards ahead of him between him and the keeper by the time he gets it. And then obviously with his finishing, the guy's a killer. Uh, he finished it like the keeper wasn't there. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was obviously it was it was a great finish by Haaland. I think um, he's obviously he's, he's, he's one to watch this year. I think uh, still obviously early days, you know, the Premier League is a different, is a different beast to the Bundesliga. As we saw with the Bundesliga, you know, Bayern tonking uh, their first opponent 6-0 or whatever it was um, in, in the first game. Um, so, yeah, obviously, I think Haaland's built for the Premier League. I think he's going to be a great striker. He played fantastic today and deserved his management, man of the match performance. I'm not going to get ahead of myself and say he's the best thing ever. 
Um, obviously, he comes with a massive reputation. Um, and I think if he continues to perform the way he performed today, I think he's going to score a lot of goals for City. I'm going to get ahead of myself, Serge, and I'm going to say he's going to be the best striker in Premier League history. Alan Shearer tweeted this afternoon and he said, only I think it was only 258 to go. You're shaking your head at me. I know, listeners, you can't see it. You're shaking his head. I'm, 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 no, I'm no, not no, shaking I'm... my head in the, sense that, in the sense that I don't think he's going to be that. But, you know, there's, there's, there's been a lot of fantastic <laughs> strikers in the Premier League. If Harlan can perform the way he performed today and, you know, goes on to score 25, 30 goals, if he decides to stay at City long-term or decides to go to Real and Barca or whatever he decides to do with, with his career, um, I, th- I think... Ultimately, I think he is going to be a brilliant player for Manchester City. Yeah, there, there is still there are still adjustments to be done as well. Uh, I think it was around the beginning, somewhere between kickoff and about 25, 30 minutes, there were a couple of those instances that we saw in the Community Shield where Haaland was making great runs in behind and nobody kind of picked him up, nobody saw it. And then to win the penalty, Gundogan, it clicked. He turned, he did a lovely little pirouette and slotted Haaland in, knowing that he was already making that run behind the lines. And De Bruyne was the exact same for the second half. Something clicked during the game where they realised when we've won the ball back in midfield and West Ham's line is a bit higher than they ideally wanted it to be, Haaland was running in behind. And De Bruyne, was, De Bruyne was, you know, was he picked it up and he, he played the ball it. beautifully. And these are the adjustments. Someone, I'm sorry, I can't credit it. I can't remember who tweeted it, but somebody put it perfectly. They said... De Bruyne needs to know now with Haaland that he doesn't need to play the perfect pass. He needs to play the early pass. And we haven't had that since the days of Sterling, Aguero and Sane. The way we've played over the last couple of years has been patient, 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 wait for that perfect pass that's going to put it on a plate for somebody and then release the ball. De Bruyne today, something clicked and he started playing that early ball instead of the perfect ball. Uh, but you know, with, with a player like De Bruyne, his early ball is perfect. And Haaland was there. I just want to also mention a couple of other players that are great performances. Rodri, he was fantastic. Nathan Ake, I've got to shout him out as well. You know, he's he's come into the team as fourth choice centre back. Laporte's injured. Stones isn't fully fit yet. Do, do you see? Do, do, do you see him holding Stones out uh, of the team? And you know, obviously, he's going to come back to full fitness if he continues playing the way he plays. Do you think it's it's an immediate return for Stones, or do, do you see him holding? Stones out. I, I actually see Ake carrying on for a little while uh, for, for two reasons. One, his form, he deserves to be playing. Pep, Pep is kind that way. He's not always ruthless. He's not kind of football manager approach where his best 11 is a best 11 and if they're available, they'll play. Pep does reward good form. It's how certain players have broken into the team over the year. Gundogan's a great example, you know, when he's dragged us to the title, Pep never dropped him. I think Ake will continue to play, but also because Pep likes to have one left-sided centre-half and one right-sided centre-half for those passing angles, and Ake's left-footed. So, yeah, I think Ake will get plenty of minutes this season. I think at centre-half, he's, Stones is going to have to wait a little bit. Uh, and also, if we've got no left-back available or we've not signed a left-back, Ake's very comfortable picking up there. So, yeah, got to shout him out. Great performance again. Rodri, Rodri I mean, I don't know what, what more can be said about Rodri, to be honest. The guy's an absolute Rolls-Royce. And I think from your perspective, if United could pick any any defensive midfielder in the world to pick at the moment, Rodri would be up there, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, we, in a minute I'd take Titus Bramble 
to play for us. Listen, I'm not asking you to. I'm not asking you, you know, to sing the praises of City players and sing the praises of Rodri because I know you'd be doing it through gritted teeth. But no, it, listen, from, I, from... I try and be level-headed, and I'm not stupid enough to recognise that. I think City obviously are a fantastically well-assembled squad. They've got quality in every department, and they've got quality on the bench. And and obviously, you've seen this season that that quality doesn't always want to remain on the bench, so they so they end up selling the quality because. The quality, the quality wants to what wants to play, but you know that's how you always remain at the top of your game when you've got that many options. You know, if if Foden, you're not happy with Foden, you take him off. You bring on Mares, and you bring you know you can bring on KP if if you're not happy with Rodri or whatever. You have so many choices um, in a squad that's been developed over time, um, and 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 the structures there, and you know how you want to play. You, you guys are a, a years ahead of of where, of where we are. Something I've read tonight is that United are now after, you know, Marco Arnautovic, which, you know, for me is scandalous. I mean, you, you saw United sign uh, Igalo, and, and and that was meant to be a one-off. Yet here we are. Um, it looks like United are going after another thirty-three-year-old striker uh, to kind of fill the gap until um, they do find the right player that they want or the right player on the market. But it it just seems so all over the place for United at the minute. It just seems, as, as, as you've said many times, a bit like a circus. Yeah, it, it is truly polar opposite, isn't it, with City? Um, and you know, I guess we'll see how both clubs go in the transfer window. But speaking of the transfer window, we have a guest with us today who is very, very familiar with the dealings of transfers and contract renewals, contract extensions and beyond. Michael Moses Jarman, Hello. Hi guys, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Forgive me for being slightly tardy with my time, but uh, I've had a day of it with school kids' holidays and whatnot in Chessington Zoo and Wild of a bit. So I've not seen any of the football. Don't ask me any questions about the football today. Probably not not the right time to have me on your podcast, but I'll go with the flow and, uh, and try and see what I can pick up based on the results. Are you a red, Mike? He is, yeah. Yeah, of course I am. Yeah, of course. Proud to say. Probably best you, 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 you didn't see what happened today, to be fair, mate. Didn't miss out much. I heard, mate. I heard, I heard, I heard. But it is what it is. It is. MJ, as you prefer to go, I just part of the introduction, obviously, we've we've had a couple of guests on who work in the press, and I think everyone connected really with City and United know exactly what they do. So I want to really ask you to, to run a bit of an introduction to yourself for people. You know, what do you do? Who, who are your clients? Um, and what's your day-to-day? As an agent, what is your day-to-day? Um, managing expectations, I think, is the best word, best, the most simplest way I could put it in. But yeah, I've been an agent now for seven years. Um, beforehand, I was in I was in banking and finance. Um, had a dabble at football myself, actually, taking it back for years. I, I played for Luton, Reading, Watford uh, as a kid, going into my scholarship. Crawley Stevenage so I picked some picked some good ones and uh, but yeah I think I just lost my change of pace as a 16 year old I was a striker target man and uh, then Malcolm Allen don't know if you guys remember him he was a striker for Newcastle played alongside that Andy Cole he was he was my coach and he turned me into this warlord of a centre-back and from there he taught me the art of defending <laughs> and smashing people and I was a proper thoroughbred old school 
you know, just hit people and make it hurt. And, uh, and oh, I loved it. I loved it. So yeah, I, um, I, sorry, reminiscing. Um, so yeah, as I said, yeah, it was about, it was 2015. Um, it was actually quite interesting. AJ, Anthony Joshua, who's a very good friend of mine, um, basically like family to me. Um, he was with uh, an agency, but was looking at his own, he, he was looking at his pathway in terms of who was going to manage him from a promotional aspect and who was going to manage him from a commercial aspect. And um, I think with my, my, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say rise to fame per se, but I, I would say I, I had done well for myself as a self-taught uh, financier in, in, in the stock markets. Um, I was on, you know, Sky News. I gave a lot of coverage to, to the Man United stock flotation. Um, I was on Bloomberg, CNBC. He always kind of looked up to me and was like, right, look, you know, I, I want you to help find my next management team. So... I, I entered into the the industry, um, met with a number of agents and other commercial companies, and I was quietly impressed. They're, they're, they're an impressive folk, my counterparts, in terms of gift of the gab, charisma. Um, you can kind of see they can, you know, they can sell sand to the Arabs, as it were. But I, I still felt as if there was a lack of, there was, I don't know, almost like a lack of... Um, Genesa Qua, it's like the like it's like level of intellect that just I just wasn't capt I wanted to be captivated by these people, right? I really wanted them to school me on the world of uh, football and money and how it all works and you know commercial contracts and how they tie a contract up and what they've done and how they add value to a to an athlete's career. And I never saw it. I was like, for me, this is. I've always thought if you bang with the best, you have to be the best. And, you know, when I, when I walked into finance as a financier, you know, if you meet the top of the industry in that field, they're good, right? They're, they're Oxford graduates, they're academics, uh, they're mathematicians, rocket scientists, algorithms. Um, so for me, I was always looking to be wowed and I never quite had that spark. And funnily enough, I, I said to AJ, I said, I could do this job with my eyes closed, I feel like. And, I remember we were sitting in his Range Rover at that point and he looked at me and he said, go on and do it. Um, so, yeah, I ended up uh, joining a company called Doyen Global, Doyen Sports. He's not a man you want to say no to when he says go on and then do it, is he? I don't know. <laughs> Listen, me and him, are, to everyone else I would advise not to do it. With me, I, I, I slap him. I don't give a shit. But having said that, you don't want to take one back on the chin from him. Yeah, I mean, we've got a wicked relationship, so <laughs> I'd stick it on him as much, but you don't want to take one on the chin. I, I'd, I'd look at him and... Stand my ground and then bang, and then obviously, like, <laughs> yeah. okay, seriously. Did you actually represent it, Michael? No, 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 no. That was all. There was always a misconception. Listen, I, I think um, he, he will always turn to me in terms of you know, just like big brother advice, guidance. I'm, 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 uh, I'm, I've got a level of intellect about me, right? So he'll always turn to me for a level of just you know, advice as like a sounding board or a head check. It did go out there that you know, uh, you know, Michael Moses Jarman represents the managers at Anthony Joshua. I, funnily enough, we we had the conversation, and it was always a case of it, he would be impossible if I, it, even if it could happen, it would be impossible. I'm, I'm his older. Um, I have a mouth on me. Uh, I, I'm very opinionated. He's very stubborn, and so if all of a sudden us two are going at it, it just wouldn't end well. It wouldn't make it wouldn't make a good business relationship um so but yeah he gave me that that back in that belief that support to go like go in and but you know look at what i've done and i've achieved in my short time as a boxer as an athlete you know let's grab the ball by the horns and and, and go for it and obviously football for me was a no-brainer when you're working in the city you're working at 
you know, waking up at four in the morning, you're not getting back to nine at night, you're doing it five days a week. For me, it was like, there's got to be an easier way to life, right? It, it was tough. So so how did you transition? So you you, you knew AJ and you, you took almost an advisory role with him. You weren't officially his management or his agent, but you had an advisory role. How did you then make that transition into being a football agent? And I think that's something, this is an interesting question because a lot of people, a lot of people, wonder about this you know how do you how do you be that guy how do you become a football agent do you need to be a legal expert do you need to know the right people how do you how did you make that step from basically management and advisory to becoming a bona fide football agent for, for me it was very much so a case of almost like an element of luck because I feel like having AJ in my corner opened many doors for me right as it as it naturally would do um I feel like my biggest asset, which is probably something that goes under the radar, right? When I'm speaking to these 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 agencies and that, you know, there's a potential for me to to, to take a position and a role on with them. Um, I feel like they probably don't look at it and don't value the intellect and the intelligence that I've taken across with me from finance to the side of football. Because once once you I can talk to you about ISM numbers, GDP. Uh, correlations but with the ISM. I can talk to you about uh, monetary policy, fiscal policy. I can talk macroeconomics and that in itself is a massive string to your bow, I think, in terms of when you're, because what are you doing actually? You're negotiating contracts and managing money. Um, but ultimately for me, it was almost like right place, right time. Um, it it came in a period of my life where the transition could happen. And luckily with where AJ was going and his stock was going long before you guys probably knew about him. Um, I had these, uh, these, these agencies that I'm, I'm forever grateful for letting me, me put my foot through the door and, uh, not only discuss and see what they could offer to my very good friend, my, my brother. Um, but also to me, because that, the part of it was that I wanted to step in and be an agent. So it wasn't just a case of, hey, you know, show me what you can do for, for AJ. It was also, a, where, where are you going with your football division? Is there a football division? If so, yes, mate, what were you going to say? Once you become that agent, you know, which obviously, as you said, you were, you were, you were lucky mm. to get your foot in the door and, and whatever else. But once you actually become an agent, obviously you then need to start getting clients. You know, and, and, and how does that work? Is that just networking? You know, how do you sell yourself to a footballer to say, listen, let me represent you. Don't go with Pinny Zahavi or with Mino Raiola before he died. You know, let me represent you as opposed to these people. Mm. What, what makes you different and, mm. and, and how do you sell yourself to a footballer? I think the interesting thing with football, right, it's such a, a it, it's, it's really tough. I'll be honest with you. Football players are fascinating because as athletes, they don't like change, and with an athlete, they um, they want to be in a position where once you're in their entrusted circle, it's very hard to change that. You have to do something so mon monumentally bad for you to come out of it. So there are leeches, as I like to call them. Um, some of them will pose as friends who aren't really their friends. Some of them will pose as financial advisors. Some of them will pose, pose as... Uh, Wealth, not wealth managers, uh, no, personal shoppers, whatever it may be. And they work their way into the circle. And then from there, they stick. And because it's, you've got to remember as, a, as, a, as an athlete, as a football player, especially when you're known to thousands, hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions of people, the one thing you don't want to do is start changing who's around you. People kind of drip in bit by bit. And then once you set your circle up, especially as you're climbing, 
the world wants so much from you in terms of your pound of flesh. So we were at the QPR game yesterday with Chloe, who's one of my clients, and uh, Chloe Kelly, that is, and uh, obviously scored the... She should, she doesn't need an introduction, does No, she? well, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a City fan anyway, so obviously I've known of Chloe from uh, from her role in City women's team. Yeah, um, and I, I did actually have a question about her, but continue. I think you're possibly about to take the words out of my mouth anyway. You know, I was, what, what I was going to ask about with Chloe was what has the impact been of the events of the last couple of weeks? And just to add to that, a firewall in a way to protect your clients from the interest, uh, really anyone that wants that pound of flesh? Um, so yesterday we were at QPR. We've walked out, obviously great reception from the Ars fan, uh, brilliant meeting, you know, the owners, from, from the owners all the way down through to the players and the staff. And it was just that top-down loving feeling of such a great family club. But we've left the grounds, walked outside, probably should have had security on us because we didn't think it would be as big. I probably had 70 people following me to my car with her. And I had to step in and play security. And um, obviously much of their dismay, you just can't do it. If you physically stop at that point, especially she was on a schedule, I was on a schedule, we had somewhere to be. We've been taking photos all that, all, all, all week. Um, you know, the press around her has been nonstop. So it's just like, we, we are human beings at the end of the day. And these people need the ability to just escape and relax. I had someone walk their pram in front of my car, bang on my car window and swear at me because I wouldn't let them stop for a picture. So it's 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 really really tough and when you talk about firewall look there are some agents that do a fantastic job out there that will do stuff like that there's some that just don't care and then it's on the player to 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 sort it out themselves um but yeah ultimately for me i've always said you put your athlete in the strongest possible position in terms of their frame of mind whether that be the way you set them up through their contracts, whether that be the advice and, and guidance you give them from their wealth management uh, perspective, whether it is something as simple as walking to a car out of a stadium, is making sure that you know they have their back. Because Chloe Kelly doesn't want to say no to a fan, right? Let's be honest. If she 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 doesn't, no athlete likes turning someone down. The interesting thing is I think fans know that and they play on that mm. level of manipulation to get what they want at that particular time. And I'm like, look, the reality of it is, is Chloe Kelly doesn't score that goal last week. Is there as much fuss around her? We've not really been in a position before where the England women and City women, United women, are getting so much attention. Whilst it's obviously unpleasant in terms of people you know, chasing you mm. down in your car and following you around, trying to get pictures, this and that. But that is traditionally something that has been reserved for male football. And... The, the, the ladies have had mm -hmm. such an impact, a massive impact on so many young people in the country that they're rising to the same kind of superstardom that we mm -hmm. see with the men. Have you noticed that change? Yeah, oh, oh, without without question. I mean, look, listen, I'll be honest with you. I signed Chloe six years ago and um, the story was fa fa fantastic. I think she was my third client and uh, <laughs> She, she messaged me through Instagram and said, hey, I'm looking for new representation, um, seeing what you guys are up to. The AJ hype, the steam train was very much so in full effect at that point. Um, you know, we were the cool kids on the block to know. So, it, it, you know, she maybe saw a little something in us and thought, I want to see what that's saying. And if there's any benefit there, there's any synergies, we can do business. And I remember hitting her social media page. She had about 3,000 followers back then. And uh, there was this video that she had of her when she was playing for Arsenal and she rolled the ball one way, stepped over, then dragged it back, did another step over and nutmegged someone. And I remember watching that video about 15 times walking around my office, trying to replicate her, replicate her foot patterns and I couldn't do it. 
now I can play football. Like, right, remember, so remember this for me is my first real encounter with women's football. I can play football. For me, I'm like, women, I didn't realise women were at that stage. I was like, oh, 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 they've got some shit, you know, they can, they, they're, they're, they've got some players, they've got some ballers, okay, I can't do this, what's, what's this? So um, I said to her, I said, I said, look, get yourself down to the office, let's have a chat. And uh, luckily, and to this day, thank God that I know this man, uh, Matthew Alexander, it's Keith Alexander's son, the, the obviously the, 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 the late manager that obviously passed away uh, a little while back. I think he's one mm-hmm. of the first black managers yeah. in, in English football, actually. So he's a pioneer for individuals like myself. And Matt was actually managing Notts County's women's team at that point as a CEO. And they were looking after Ellen White. So for me, I said, Chloe Kelly, what do you know about it? Baller, baller. Needs to mature a bit, needs to be phys- physically fill out a bit, but she's only 18. Absolute player. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say no to her in a heartbeat. She's the future of this country. So on his rec- uh, recommendation, got her into the office, sat down, had a conversation, and just her personality shone through. She's just the girl next door that just, she can play with the Barbie doll, get her nails done, get her hair did, get her you know eyelashes done, but then she'll come and kick ball with the boys. And for me, I, I, I remember on that day, I was like, you're going to, I didn't say you're going to do something big in football, but I, I just felt as if you're going to be the face of women's football. There's going to be something that happens where people are going to gravitate around you. Yeah, I think the, the the impact's probably bigger than any of us could imagine for for Chloe Kelly. You know, been around a few years. As I said as a City fan, I've known her name at least for a few years. Um, but but the impact was enormous. And I, I wanted to ask you this. This nicely follows on actually because what I wanted to do with you was get into the the ins and outs of the world of agents that perhaps people don't understand, especially at the moment. You know, the transfer window hype for every club, in particular United, is absolutely insane. So I wanted to ask. Two quick double question really for you. One, how close are you to your clients? As in how often are you speaking with them? Um, and how close is that relationship on a day-to-day basis? And the second one is when we hear about players potentially moving, there is always the question of is it the agent sending them around? Is it the agent doing the rounds trying to flog them? Pushing or has interest. yeah, or has the player gone to the agent and asked for a move? In other words, if a player is very, very settled, do you have much work to do with them? Would you ever present an opportunity to them? Or do you wait until you are instructed to go and find them a move? No, I think I think at the end of the day, it's a bit like a, a stock price, right? So your client's uh, share price and valuation is at an all-time high. Just because they're settled, it doesn't mean that the markets aren't dictating that they're contract value is worth more and at the end of the day it's a very short career for them um my job as their you know their ambassador of kwan if you wanted to call it that they're their champion of of of, of their wealth and what everything that they're doing in terms of success and legacy i i need to ensure that they can finish their career and i always say two things first of all look at their bank account and smile and be happy and secondly be able to look at their career and, and be that's a big factor, right? A lot of athletes that a lot of story fans don't understand that players can get paid two, three hundred thousand pounds a week, but at some point the football is what matters to them, right? They're still the kids from the, the street that first picked up a ball and they, they fall in love. They hate it. You've seen the Paul, uh, Paul Pogba documentary. I don't know if you have or not, but there's a real cry of help from a man there for me that wants to feel the love of the game. And I'm not, I, I think there's an element of his narcissistic character traits playing through where he wants to be the victim 
but also there's a real lack of empathy and love that he needs and that he wants because that's what made him love the game in the first instance. And through whatever's happened at, with him and United or through, through him and his career, um, it's now amalgamated into this position where he feels unloved and unwanted. And so if I was Paul Pogba's agent and it's like, career's finished, look at all the money you've made, look how well you've done, you're, you're a brand, you're an icon, you've won the World Cup. I think if you ask him really how does his heart feel, how does he really feel inside, I think he there will be massive moments that he'll... If, when he gets a 50, he wished he could reverse the clocks back and probably talk to his younger selves. I don't know, Paul. Maybe it's completely different. Maybe he is happy. But I, if I was his agent, I would be devastated to see how it's ended at Manchester United for him, knowing that he didn't... He didn't it's always best intentions. You don't go there to be hated and to be the, 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 the villain and... Whatnot. And obviously things happen, right? It, it, things don't work out. The management changes. Uh, I think as a club at the moment, Manchester United uh, need to do more to, and hopefully we're heading in the right direction with the appointment of Eric um, to, to, to settle the club and to kind of get a direction because at the moment it's just been a bit of everything. Unfortunately, Paul's a part of that, that, that economic environment and it's not uh, a work for him. And I just feel like if, you know, in 10 years' time, if you could sit there and speak to Paul about it again, I feel like he would he would be honest with himself and say, maybe I could have done this. Maybe I could have done that. Maybe I shouldn't have been so hard on Paul, myself. Paul's actually a great example. Paul's ex- actually a great example because his agent, obviously, um, the late Mino Raiola. Mino was notorious mm. at times for doing shopping trips around Europe to find his clients new clubs. I think last season it was the case with Erling Haaland. He was photographed in Barcelona. He was photographed in Madrid. Um, Pogba, I think, was touted around a couple of times. What, what's, what's, firstly, what's driven Mino to do that? And secondly, who, on whose instruction is he acting? Is, is this him taking initiative to get his clients the best deal or have his clients said to him, look, I, I feel like I need to move. I want to go, go and see what's out there. Because th- this is kind of the part of being an agent that people we don't see this. I don't see this. Search doesn't see this. We don't really understand what goes on in the background. All we see is you know, people see Mino Raiola flying around Europe and they're abusing him on social media and they're saying he's just a snake oil merchant and all these things. What what exactly is going on here? What's the dynamic mm-hmm. between agents and players for someone like Mino Raiola to go around Europe and, and speak with different clubs? It almost comes across as, as if sometimes agents can look selfish in the sense that they are doing this shopping trip or or that you know pushing players around for themselves. Uh, obviously, you'd expect or hope that agents would always act in the best interest of their of their clients. The reputation of the world of agents is on your shoulders with, with this answer. I, I'll be honest, with you, are you comfortable with me swearing because I, I don't give a flying what anyone thinks like we've got a job to do at the end of the day and each look there are there's good and bad in every industry i think there are agents out there that do an appalling job in powerful positions i really do i think there's small agents that do a fantastic job i also think there's big agents out there that do a great job and small agents that haven't got a clue what they're doing the reality of it is is if your player's on a hundred thousand pound a week and you feel as if you can get him two hundred thousand pound a week Naturally, as an agent, you will benefit from that transaction. The athlete will benefit from that transaction. His market value is increased by double. You would be, this isn't a charity. And whilst everyone wants to throw mud on the agent's name, clubs equally play 
a horrible game with that. It's great when it's going the right way. I've seen it go the wrong way for players and cl what clubs do and how ruthless they are in terms of the treatment that they give to those talents. So then it's like, okay, we're not allowed to get a bad name. And the one thing that I like with Mino is that may soul rest in peace, even though I didn't agree with his management style or the way he could sometimes create chaos, I feel as if he... It's not me. It's not how I would do it. But sometimes you need someone like that just to tell the clubs as well that you need to behave yourself. Well, clubs clubs equally know what they're doing as well, right? So it's not just the it's, we're all at it. Whether it, it be the felt, player, it the felt clubs, many ways, we, Michael, that that like for example, Pogba was almost. I know, as, as you said, you know, will he look back his career as 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 a as someone who actually truly enjoyed his career and truly enjoyed his football? It feels to me more more and more that like, like he was more like a circus elephant being schlepped around to different clubs, you know, to perform and to, to earn his money on massive salaries, but never truly enjoyed what he did or, or, or what he was doing. And, you know, it almost like Mina would present these opportunities to him and to, to move uh, to, to, you know, to, to, to these clubs on massive salaries. Um, I'm going to make it very easy for you, Serge. Serge, I'm going to make it very easy. What did I say my job was right at the very beginning of the call? Managing expectations. It's managing expectations. Managing expectations so if my athlete thinks all of a sudden you know chloe kelly at the moment is in a fantastic position we've had some great conversations this week we've got some great press that's, that's out there on her you know the commercial big boys have all of a sudden started hitting my phone up and saying what's it going to cost for us to be in business because everyone wants to leverage that moment and the one thing that i said to chloe is enjoy it it's a moment that will last with you for a lifetime but can i just say it's always been about the football right so this that's what makes ronaldo great ever get that hit. what comes that you, you know all the slander that i've seen around cr7 it burns me to think how little people know and i'm seeing i'm seeing uh you know some of my uh peers my counterparts in the industry you know ex-players at that at, at, at immediate media uh, media questioning renown do you do you have any idea how hard it is as an athlete to stay at the top of your game and have the drive and the will to want to win week in, week out, and people do it don't as well, realize. and execute that. No, people I don't, don't think realize. You I think that's what's that great is. about having someone like you on the pod. But, but, but it's, 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 it's out there. It's out there. You've seen even as I'd go to Real Madrid, right, and suffer and struggle because it's not easy to do a multi-million pound move and just hit. The... Ronaldo is... Uh, is a freak of nature, an absolute sensation who should be, if you could almost like write a book on the mindset, the mentality, the the commitment, the dedication on what it looks like to be a winner in life, write a book on Cristiano Ronaldo. Write a book on Cristiano Ronaldo. And he knows it. And he knows it. And that's why he's done what he's done. I don't agree again with what he's done or how he's gone about it. Obviously, we assume it's family reasons, whatever. I've always sat there and said that you you know, before you're treated as Cristiano Ronaldo as the athlete, you know, be Cristiano Ronaldo the man and how do you want to be? But he knows that he's bigger than, he's, dare I say, I don't like saying this, but he's bigger than the club. He's bigger than the club and he knows that he gets, he's in a position where he's probably come back to a, an environment that was not what he left when Alex Ferguson was in charge. So Alex was in charge and I think it hurts him to see that, mate. And I think he's just like, just like, I need out. I can't, I can't do this anymore. You know, this one day, two day, three, even in the, the, the dross that we had of a season last season, how many goals did he score? So it was 20, 
20 yeah, goals or something to, to, like that, was to, it, that he put to, up numbers-wise? Yeah, yeah, he, 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 was, he, he was a massive part for United actually managing to finish in the top six, obviously with his goals. But this, this is actually going to bring it nicely back to you and, and your motivations and how you like to operate. Is it... Uh, I'm going to guess it isn't always the case that for every player it is just about the football. And I'm not going to say... I'm, I hate the term when people say mercenaries or money-grabbing but have you come across anyone yet for whom it was literally they turned around and they said, I don't care where I go, get me the biggest contract you can find me. I don't care if it's in China, England, Portugal, or Saudi, Saudi Arabia. Arabia. Yeah. It, have, have you come across any players that have said, or have you heard of any players that have literally just said that to their agent? Get the biggest contract you can find, don't care where it is. Why would you? I don't want to be disrespectful to the Chinese, but why would you go and play football in China? We've seen how many transfers have happened to China from Europe. Oscar was one of them. He uh, used to play for Chelsea. I think he went over to China. But the, yeah. the, the question is really, are there players that will turn around to their agents and say, do not care where it is, near or far, I want the biggest contracts you can find? Of course. Rob the bank. Of course, yeah, Rob the bank. And that typically comes at the end of the career. You'll very rarely see that at the very early stages or the mid part of the career. It's normally an element of, I've gone as far as I can. I'm happy to just rob the bank for a year. You know, I'm quoting Floyd Mayweather there, so forgive me for probably my looseness and I don't want to upset or piss off any football fans. But the reality of it is, is yeah, it does happen, of course. You know, again, they've got a year, two years left on their their contract and they're like, I'm on X, but I can achieve Y if I go to China or Saudi or wherever it may be. Um, the, 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 it's almost like a lifestyle move I've, I'm, I'm not going there to enjoy myself from a footballing perspective I'm just going to go there, chill, perform for the club that I'm at, you know, I do my honorary agreement and commitments that I've signed up to, but you're not going to get you know, hard work and dedication out of me, just let me get paid let me enjoy my life. People also forget, I think Michael uh, that players, as you mentioned before they have such short careers you know, and, 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 and there's this concept that players have to be loyal to clubs and as you mentioned before, loyalty works both ways. Um, but, it, but in reality, um, mm-hmm. you know, as, as, as I mentioned before, you know, they, they have such short careers. I don't, and, and they're paid such vast sums now. I don't really blame them in many ways to go to China, to be a mercenary or rob the bank or whatever term you want to coin it. I don't blame them. I mean, these players, you know, they're playing from the age of uh, 17, 18 in, in, in top level uh, up till... 35, you know, you know, they've got like 15 year, um, 18 year careers. Um, do you blame them for wanting to earn as much money, you know, in, in that period of time? I don't. I mean, some players probably, you know, aren't driven by money. I know, you know, maybe certain nationalities aren't too fussed. Maybe, you know, I'm not saying necessarily based on nationality, but also um, the type of character they are. Culture is a big part. Culture is a big part. And different cultures have different feelings and, uh, ways about like you know me looking after the Dutch players that I represent. They're great travellers, right? They're fantastic at travelling. You, you pick up Patrick, you put him in Turkey, fantastic. But I think he's playing now actually as well. Um, but you know, just takes it a duck to water. But you do that with an Englishman, it's not the same. <laughs> you take a, a player out of South London, you know, raising the cages, and you go and dump him in Turkey and say, "There, enjoy yourself. There's your career done." looking over his shoulders and thinking, what do I do here? And so culture is a massive part of it. And no, I will never, I will never blame. I'm a bit of a, you know, center, right. To a certain extent, I, I believe in capitalism in, in the good form of capitalism, not the bad form of capitalism, right. The, um, not the greed element, 
So if it's available to be made and it's there and it's on the table, if you don't take it, someone else will. So why not, right? But that comes at a cost and that comes at a price and that cost and price is don't lose your soul, don't lose your identity, don't lose who you are, don't lose what makes you tick in the morning. If you're soul motivated, if you're enslaved to money, typically speaking, for me, I won't represent you because it's not, you know, money is a byproduct of success. And um, if that's your sole motivation in life, whilst I may be able to facilitate that, we've got to look really behind the reasons of the why. Patrick could have gone to Saudi last year um, and taking a bigger contract than what he was getting at Galatasaray. But with PVA, at that point, he was, he needed that big club feel. You know, he left Chelsea and probably never returned to the big stage. It's really, it's, it's really interesting, Michael. I mean, it's really interesting. So, so something you mentioned is like when you take clients on, you know, in, in some ways, obviously, you're not only just representing them as, as, as an agent, but you're also, you know, you're, you're there to, 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 to mentor them. You're there to repair their character when, 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 when things aren't necessarily, get, you know, going, going to plan or, or, or whatever. Yeah. And it happens. And, and, and it happens. And, 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 it happens. And you're taking them under your wing. I mean, like, for example, for, let's just use Paul Popper as a, as a, as a, as a player, you know, I, do you feel if, if he was under a different management, you would have seen a different Paul Pogba? Not necessarily at Manchester United. Obviously, he did have a good season at Juve, but... Without, without question. I don't, want, I don't want to be disrespectful of Mino at all because, you know, Mino is great at doing what he does. And, you know, in terms of the success that he's had as an agent, you know, if I could have, uh, you know... 20% of that, you'll take it, right? So he's, he's, he's done well. He's done very well. I can't say that I would go around and can carry myself and say he's the blueprint to being a successful agent. But whatever he did, it worked for him. And that's great. And he's done some fantastic business. Some fantastic, the Erling Harling deal is great business on, on all sides. His side, uh, Harling side, uh, um, uh, uh, City side. And it would have been him that set the contract up that way. So for me, brilliant. But... I do feel as if there is a lack of you have it's a two-way street. What do you want? If you want your players just to make the most amount of money, go down the Mino route. You know, he probably he wants his players to be successful, but I feel like a big motivator is the finances. But I feel like there has to be the conversation around legacy. We're the conversation around legacy. You've got to enjoy what you do. I love my job. It grounds, it takes its pound of flesh out of me. It grinds me into the ground sometimes. I see Twitter go off on some of my players and I'm like, you know, I wanted to reply to a fan. I'm like, I've been talking about you. You've got to bite your tongue and just like tell you, double down, we'll go again next week. And you really live through. I, I do was anyway. kind of surprised to see you on Twitter, actually, because uh, obviously when we, when we were going to put the tweet oh, out announcing it. that you were he coming on the it. pod I, I, I ran a, a search yeah I ran a I'm search on Twitter for you thinking, there's no way on Twitter you know the amount of shite that people are slinging all the time about clients and about your your clients about players um yeah so yeah I was quite surprised to see you on Twitter so I want to ask them talking step by step into the into the world of transfers so let's say you have uh, your clients interested in moving you've found them a club that they deem to be suitable and happy. What What's the next step? Walk me through then from your perspective, how a transfer happens. Because again, on Twitter, people are baying for updates every hour. The, the aggregators are Driving tweeting. Fabrizio Romano mad, driving, driving themselves mad. And, and, and there's also this kind of, go on, you and Ali, there's this kind of that mystical uh, idea of how transfers happen. 
but no one really actually understands. They kind of they kind of think it's like football manager. You know, you make a bid on a player, then you get to talk to him. But they also they, the, the, the 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 press feed into it as well because yeah. the journalists are always tweeting imminent, close, soon. So talk me through actually how this does happen and why as well. Sometimes there are perhaps undue delays when a player does want a club, the club wants the player. What are the delays all about? So walk us through a transfer. Uh, very simply put, in my position, you go into every transfer window with a view of what does a club want, what does a club need? And you have to then look at those specifics and ask if any of your clients are in that position, um, whether they would match the criteria. Some Sometimes it's the profile has to be 24 or younger. Sometimes it's they have to be experienced. Sometimes it's, uh, it's uh, you know a player that's going to be coming in and pushing another player. So you have to look at what those clubs require and need and who on your roster you look after that can best fit, you know, that that specific transfer. Um, then obviously you have to also know before you go into the window, your client's position. Right, is your client settled? Is it worth moving your client and, and doing his bidding for him in this window? Um, would the club that he's currently at want to sell him or is it likely that a transfer won't be feasible because the price is too high? So they're You also forget that these players year. also, they have families, they have children, they have children's schools, they have, you know, these personal Correct. things going on. Correct. You know, So Correct. I suppose you have to take Correct. that all into consideration as well, do you? So, yeah, so you have to know your client's position, both from what you just said, absolutely on the money surge with their, their own personal position. They might not want to move. They might be happy and completely settled. Um, the Frankie situation seems to be one that's playing around a lot right now, right? So it might genuinely actually be that he doesn't want to... You know, a big thing that I actually didn't realise until I got into the industry was the attraction of where you're living. I, I didn't get it. When Ronaldo moved to Madrid, I was like, why would he leave Manchester United? Great club. I, Madrid, yeah, cool. They're a great club. But we're a great... We're an even better club. I'm a fan of Man United. Why would he leave us? But you actually look at it and you go, well, you're swapping Manchester for Madrid straight away. So that that is a big psychological pulling factor. The weather's different. The climate, the way of living's different. I've seen it this year, traveling to Spain so much. Um, so that's that one thing. The second thing is you have to be respectful. If you're going to be a good businessman in this industry and you're going to be a good agent, it's about being a good middleman. And I think driving and creating chaos is not necessarily the right way to go about your life. So you need to be respectful of, you've signed a contract. You move one player into one club and then all of a sudden you've got a five-year deal. You have to honour those commitments. That's it, in my opinion. So anything that happens thereafter that is subject to change is all down to the here and the now and the why and can we make it happen without, you know, testing the boundaries of upsetting or pissing people off. You don't want to go into it like that. If you have to sometimes, it does happen, of course. In fact, more than you would like. Then you would like, ideally, you'd like everyone to just be like, there's a fair price and, you know, it's done. Doesn't it? Doesn't work like that. Then um, once you've found out that your player does fit that criteria, very simply put, the agent will obviously um, put their clients in that position. So we'll pick up the phone and we'll say this client may be available for such and such. And if all of a sudden the club then responds in a positive manner and says very much so of our caliber, very much so of our liking, we'll take him. He matches exactly what we need. Then typically the conversations are. It, 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 is, is that just a phone call? Process. Is that an email? Well, well, you know, obviously there's this kind of concept around clubs can't speak to a player until they've agreed a fee. Mm -hmm. When does that happen? Is it mm -hmm. is it the fee and then the agreed contract terms, or is the contract terms already previously agreed and then they do the fee? Well, what, what what's the process for this? 
So you'll you'll hear that personals that you'll hear that personals will always be agreed. It, it's false. You can't uh, legally present contractual terms to a player without agreeing the transfer, the bid between the two clubs, right? But what you do is you have a a no say of a club's uh, financial structure, what they're paying salaries wise, and where it will be, and that could typically be via a phone call. Um, it could be via WhatsApps, LinkedIn, uh, emails. But the initial conversation around finances, a club might say, you know, we've got a budget of around about 100 to 150,000 for this position, for argument's sake. The name goes in. Does that, how's that to your life? Yeah, brilliant. You know, you, you obviously have to, we have to do more than just put a name in and say, is this for you, right? We have to sell why and the know how and uh, why we think it would be a great fit for that current position. And then all of a sudden, the club either agrees and goes, yep, which at that then point, then what you'll find is, can we get close to the personal terms enough for us to make? Because there's no point in going into the club and agreeing a fee and then falling short on the personal terms. That's why you'll find, typically speaking, when bids go in and they've been agreed, they know the personals are there. Very rarely is it done the other way around. Um, but out of respect for the fact that the, cl- the club, the player is under management contract with the, 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 the club they're buying from, you will always find that it's never official until the bid's gone in. The bid will go in. Then once the bid's been accepted, then you get the green light to really, you know, now home the, the the personals. And at that point, I've seen deals get close to to falling through um, because it's we were there, but then it's like it's gone backwards, and then bonuses get added on top, and then you're like, no, 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 the the, the guarantee needs to be here. I want the bonuses to be here. So then there is a negotiation that then really takes us to the next phase. And if you get that done, then you, then you're pretty much so. Uh, good to go but I, I would say to best summarize the uh our, our work it's always you understand your client's position first and the the economics that surrounds them whether it be through family lifestyle choices what they want to achieve their own personal goals and that of the club that they're contracted to whether they're in a position to sell or not and then um the other side is as i said is whether that that club, the club might not even be a great fit just because a club comes through and offers terms. I've done it countless times where I've had to turn down interest because I don't think it would be right for my player to move. Do you do you consult? Do you would you always consult with your player first when you ask that question? So if a club does come to you and you don't think it'll be a great fit, other times when you won't even pass that on to your player. No, no, no. I, I, my I, okay. So the industry. Um, I it does happen probably where it's probably it's it's a hard one, right? Because if you you're 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 still it's not just a player, it's a human being. So the hardest thing to do for an agent is you give your client all the information, then their head goes, right? And you at the end of the day, what do I need? I need my athlete focused on football, playing the best of best available football to them at that point, given time, under the contract they're in. So I don't want to do anything that changes that dynamic, and of course. If you bring an offer to the table, what do you think happens to a human being that's already on a load of money that's being told he's going to earn even more money? The head turns. <laughs> so at that specific point, I think that's why I said to you at the very beginning of the conversation, managing expectations. Because also equally, I don't think you should be in a position as an agent where you're withholding the information because you're acting on behalf of their interests and it's only right for them to understand how the market is moving. Um, but it's how you put it to them, how you convey that message, and then what you do with that information thereafter as a team um, to ensure that the best possible outcome for the athlete, whether it be moving, not moving, staying, um, uh, you know, kicking off the door to training ground dressing rooms because you've told you've had an argument and an argy bargy with your with your, <laughs> with your manager because you went out of the club, you know, all these conversations 
do happen sometimes um, for personal re uh, reasons and different reasons. Um, do you know what it is? Can I tell you the best thing about all of this and just conclude that bit for you? It's men, it's money, and it's egos. That's that's where... See, the women's game, it, this doesn't really happen. <laughs> Not yet anyway. If the money really comes out, if the money really comes out, then, then it might change. But ultimately, it's the men, the money, and the ego. And they are all mm -hmm. very hard driving factors to... Uh, to to box and contain because everyone's it's not I think personal, you just described three of the hardest things on the planet to manage men money and ego <laughs> there we go there we go i just want to, just want to ask a go. question so, yeah i try um, to if, if it's okay michael and obviously you know feel free to redact any kind of information i know you're an open book with these things anyway um it, 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 you know and, and you'll you'll always be careful oh he's been words, dying but... to ask this one <laughs> how, how close were man united go to on. Uh, or, or or another Premier League club, you know, to looking at, you know, Arnold Danjuma. Obviously, he had a fantastic uh, season in Villarreal, and you know, he, he obviously he's had, he's done fantastic since moving from from Bournemouth, was it? Um, and uh, he's, he's he really mm -hmm. looks like he, he he's 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 on the upward spiral, and his, his stock is rising, as you would say. Um, you know, w w mm -hmm. w was it just purely rumours? Were there talks between clubs? You know, again, obviously, I don't want to put you in an uncomfortable position or ask you any kind of question that uh, be wrong. But... You already have, oh, just sorry, to say okay. it's nice. It's fine, carry on, carry on. a club that wears yellow. Um, <laughs> how yeah. close are you? <laughs> no, I love the kit, by the way. It's... No, it, honestly, you know what? I was a bit like yellow kit, all yellow as well. It's like, God, it's bright. But actually, you, it, it works for what it's worth. It's like very rarely do they have to change into their away kit. Um, look, first of all, I think, yeah, if, if I'm, as you know, I'm a very media-friendly agent. So I always believe in, you know, trying to uh, be honest and be the best rep version of yourself in terms of how you want to represent yourself and your athletes and your company. Um, in terms of giving you the specifics, the, the specific workings of where Dan Jim is at at the moment, um, I'm not going to do so. I can't give you any headlines there, unfortunately. But what I would say to counter it is, look, I've known about Dan Juma um, since NEC days. And the one thing I would say is if there are clubs out there that aren't looking at him, um, what is your scouting division doing? Because he he look he had a good season. Everyone would say he's had a fantastic season last season. His output's been second to none, right? He's he's, he's Bournemouth Championship output fantastic. People want to talk about the uh, the, 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 the the his failings in and around uh, you know Bournemouth, but Bournemouth were in a transitional season that season. Bournemouth, in terms of their recruitment, went very left field in terms of bringing in European players. If you look at Eddie Howe's talents, typically speaking, at that point in terms of where he was at in his career. A lot of his he was taking League One players and making them Premier League quality. Um, you don't have that in 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 an Arnout Danjuma because he's already been in the Champions League and already uh, um, gone to a club Bruges and scored a, a banger against Atletico Madrid. So for me, for me, um, it was a case of of you know that that little period in the Premier League. All right, it didn't work out for him, but it doesn't mean he can't play Premier League football. It's just in that specific situation, that specific environment. He wasn't the player that Eddie Howe needed for that. Now, obviously, he drops down into the championship. Fantastic season. You see his output. Straight now, he's not only gone into La Liga, which technically is a very hard league to get right. Eden Hazard has proven that. 
Coutinho has proven that it's a very tactically astute league. He's taken to it like a duck to water and, you know, his output in there has been, again, exemplary. He's gone into the Champions League and, again, his output, again, has been exemplary. So, for me, you have an athlete that just goes into and he produces. And I'm telling you, he ain't done. I'm not happy with his performances last season. He's not happy with his performances last season. There is so much more to come from him that personally inside we know um, that others won't. They might just think that's him, the finished article. That's not us at all. And for me, I'm now in a position where it's like, look, yeah, his stock's on the rise. Is there interest? Of course there's interest. Um, Of course there is. Uh, But, you know, when it comes about that a transfer is meant to take place, whether that's today, tomorrow, you know, in a week's time or in January or not for another two, three years, that time will come. But I do firmly believe he's destined for the top. One last thing then, I'm going to ask you uh, very briefly. One sentence, what advice, what, what's the best advice you can give for up and coming agents or people that are interested in getting into the game? Fall into the traits of the norm. Be different. Know what your strengths is. Know what you're... I'm learning Spanish at the moment. The one thing that I loved about mm-hmm. Minarola is he could speak four languages. Genius. Genius. You can go and convey. I think that's a we We think it, football, a lot of English agents think it, football is only uh, acclimatised to English football. It's like there is a big world out there. Last year, I took Jamal Blackman to LAFC, uh, Arnat Banjuma to Villarreal, Patrick Van Arnold to Galatasaray. It, football doesn't just exist in this country. Um, so I would always say be different. Be different and and love what you do. You know, love what you do because at the end of the day, you're not just managing contracts and transfers. You're managing human beings, and that in itself is a completely you're managing humans, man. It's tough. It's a tough gig. It's a tough gig, and and you've got to love it. Men, egos, and money. Yeah. MJ, I could sit and speak with you for hours about this. It's absolutely fascinating. So it's, it's you know, it's a part of football that we just Pleasure. don't. From our perspective as fans, we just don't get the inside track. The only thing we get about the world of agents is what the press are going to bring to us. And of course, everyone's got their own agendas. So no, I would love to have you on again. This has been great. And even better if I can sit and have a beer with you and talk about the things that we might want to publish on a podcast. (laughs) Whenever you're in London, you come down. More than welcome. Mikasa Sukasa. There's a bit of Spanish for you, too. He's buzzing with that. All right, well, we're going to wrap here. Thank you very, very much to Michael Moses Jarman for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, Oliver, and uh, and Search for having me. Appreciate it in any time. Thank you. Uh, I've been Ollie, your co-host, joined by Serge, my other red co-host. This is the Mancunian Way pod. If you've enjoyed it, please do follow us on Twitter at Mancunian Way pod. Leave a review on Spotify. That'd be great for us. Really help us out. And yeah, just look out for our announcements for the next episodes and our guests that will be joining us. And if you've missed any of the previous episodes, go back and have a listen. Thank you very much, everyone. And we will catch you next week. Bye.